happy holidays to everybody out there. I'm Felix Wong, head of uh, Hedge Eye China. I'm joined, as always, by my colleague Ami Joseph, Hedge Eye Technologies sector head. Unfortunately, I, our communications head Andrew Freeman can't join us today, so it's just going to be Ami and me. This is uh, season two, episode twenty-four. Uh, unfortunately, this is the final episode of this season, um, but we're looking forward to a bright uh, 2023 for a brand new season three. And for folks listening in for the first time, uh, you know, we just wanted to give a quick intro for those, um, uh, again, who may be listening in for the first time. First off, you know, this podcast is unscripted, so nothing is written down or prepared ahead of time. Um, and this podcast is basically a chance for me, Ami, and Andrew to really share a little bit about our research process, to share a little bit about what we find exciting or not exciting in our space and to generate feedback um, from, from, from my teammates. Uh, I, I always learn something new from uh, Ami and Andrew and uh, you know, it provides more inspiration for new ideas going forward. So uh, it's, it's been a pleasure for doing this for already, I think two years now. And uh, um, Ami, I think that this was your uh, brainchild idea. So really appreciate you keeping this up and having the dialogue going. It's, it's been very fun and enjoyable. And uh, um, we always find something new and funny to discuss. So uh, I, I want to keep that streak going. Um, Thanks, Felix. Yeah, absolutely. So today, you know, I I, I kind of wanted to start off, Ami, by asking you, um, you uh, <clears throat> and our uh, policy analyst, uh, JT Taylor, had an interesting call earlier this week um, on Taiwan with a guest speaker. Um, I was just curious, you know, because Taiwan is still a fairly hot button topic. Um, curious to hear your thoughts on that call, anything that you find found informative um, and, or, or surprising, uh, I guess, particularly uh, as it relates to maybe Taiwan's semiconductor industry. But uh, that's kind of what I wanted to start out with, if you don't well, mind. Yeah, so I, I think I think like there were some interesting takeaways about that. Um, I guess the first part, just about Taiwan itself, um, was that um, the experts' view was that the U.S. will absolutely defend Taiwan, and he said it's not about um, Taiwan necessarily and what it means for the United States exactly, but it's also for like global stability, meaning that even if um, the U.S. is able to, um, you know, multi-source um, chips and supply chain and things like that. He said, you know, he's like the rest of the world probably will never totally get there. And uh, as a result, like if we want there to be global stability uh, from an economic perspective, uh, we're going to have to defend Taiwan. It's an interesting point in terms of the impact on global macro. Um, so I thought that was kind of like an interesting takeaway on that front. It's just a little bit differently than what, like I, how I had 
thought about it, just given what's going on in Ukraine and, and kind of like, you know, sort of the appetite here from this side. But um, but he also was of the opinion that an, a full out invasion was unlikely. Um, so that was also something that um, stood out to me that he was very strongly like kind of like he thought there was a very, very, very small percent chance um, that they do like an outright invasion in part because of of the lack of uh, military capability in some specific areas that they need, um, in part because an invasion like that would be um, telegraphed very easily, um, would be, you know, kind of the, between the military buildup, between having to um, convince the nation of China to, to engage in this kind of activity, um, would be such a broad scale war and, and, um, and there would be so many dead that, you know, with, with single family, with one, one child per family, uh, in some, so many cases that it would mean many families would lose, um, their succession or their line. Um, so it was the kind of thing that he felt like would be very, very, um, well seen well in advance. And, and as a result does not think, uh, that that's really, um, on its way to happening, um, some other interesting takeaways um, were it was sort of like, you know, it was negative for negative on China, by the way, just, you know, overall. And, and, and even in the days since we've seen more news, like, for example, now Apple's going to have um, dual supply chain for Mac uh, would be in Vietnam and iPhones can also have its own second supply chain. Um, so definitely building up supply chain for Apple, building up supply chain outside of China. But from his perspective, what he said was basically that the U.S. is organizing a number of countries to create kind of like an economic um, and military deterrent uh, to ring fence China um, around this specific issue to, to literally just kind of like remind. Uh, I, I think it's worth actually, Felix, if you go listen to it at some point, but I think he was like, you know, just reminding that. We all just want to get along. We all just want, you know, trade to continue, stability to continue. And we all need to play nice in the sandbox, including not invading each other. So I think that was sort of like a, you know, kind of like a, a part of the takeaways that, um, that I took away from it. Um, and then on the positive side, it seemed pretty bullish for India, um, generally speaking, like, because it seems like the um, two to mitigate China's um, movement in this direction or swagger or belligerence, it's, you know, kind of like supply chain and other partnerships are being built up in India. And so India is gaining like a stronger position in the world in terms of its, um, its, its geopolitical position. So I thought, I thought that was interesting as well. It was like the, kind of like that, that shift. And who knows, maybe this is just all posturing and it all goes away in six months, but it, it was an interesting takeaway for me from, from that session. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I I was curious. So so he said that defending defending Taiwan because of global instability. If they don't do it, I actually think it would lead to instability if there is conflict. Um, so I'm not quite sure what, what he meant by that. Um, so I yeah. So I'm you know I. I generally agree with uh, uh, with uh, your your uh, I guess the the expert on um, that that was invited um, in terms of no military conflict. Um, what I can say from China's perspective is 
there's they don't want any kind of military invasion at all this is not really an invasion right i mean i've talked before that taiwan they don't uh from china's perspective they don't regard taiwan as an enemy or or anything of that anything close to that type of na nature they regard them as family so an invasion is is unlikely unless something provokes it which um people don't know at this moment but um i i, I you know what what i've been kind of just thinking around this issue is I just hope people forget about it, Ami. Um, you know, US and uh, China, uh, you know, mainland China, they were doing just fine um, without having to contend with this controversial topic. Um, so I hope going forward, we return to the status quo that has led to growth for both countries. Um, and rather than risk something, you know. Yeah, I agree 100% um, with that. I think I think what I would say is you know, just going back to that conversation. What he would have, maybe the way he would say it is that, um, or maybe I don't know. Maybe that's actually the way I would say it is is from the China side. You know, like when when whenever we see a company go make acquisitions, it's usually because they sense um, a, uh, a lack of growth organically ahead of them, and so if China's um, economy is slowing. Um, on a not just a cyclical basis, but on kind of like a secular basis that they would uh, need sort of quote unquote an acquisition in that sense, just like a company would make an acquisition in order to open up growth. And lo and behold, one of the biggest um, ambitions of China is the semiconductor industry and in, in, in sort of quote unquote acquiring Taiwan would, would sort of resolve that uh, growth, open up that growth rate uh, for them there. And then on the flip side is, is, you know, what I asked him was, is the U.S., you know, kind of like the U.S. is 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 um, kind of risking a lot by continuing to tighten um, China's access to semiconductors um, and the homegrown market, and um, to in order you know tightening the, their ability to restricting their ability to get um, equipment to make uh, semiconductors. And I, I think like you know he he said there's a delicate balance between. The sort of like trying to get Taiwan, China to respect you know, international intellectual property rights versus kind of pushing them into a corner where they're just going to have to, you know, kind of like build it all on their own anyway. Um, I would say that I, having been around this industry a really long time, build it on your own is a really, really hard thing to do unless you have a chance, you've, unless you've hired away key mines and, and potentially even stolen some of the key intellectual property, um, it's a really, really hard thing to do. Uh, I think we, from, from the semiconductor side, my, my experience with that industry. Um, so anyway, so that's kind of like the, I agree with you though. I think the better is just like everybody, let's go back to your corners and everybody focus on growth and let's move forward. Like, you know, no, no fighting. That's kind of my, that's my view. Yeah, I, I I hope so too. And as we look into 2023, Ami, uh, you know, another thing maybe we should discuss is uh, the risks ahead um, for next year. The mood has been pretty somber, um, um, at least on the U.S. side, it looks like, um, with a lot of uncertainty and, you know, on what the Fed could do. And then potential deep recession, maybe 
can you talk a little bit about the risks that you may see in your space? And then, you know, I can uh, also address my space as well. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that in, in generally speaking, you know, buyers, I think the big risk is macro, which is, you know, kind of like buyers being invited to sit on their hands, right? Like the interest rates, uh, climate and the efforts of the Fed are trying to um, tighten the economy, uh, slow the economy, cool the economy. And I think that's having an effect. And I think seeing people, you know, sit on their hand, buyers sit on their hands, I think is is probably ongoing, very, very big risk. Um, in software, I actually think that we've reflected a lot of that risk at this point. And I think what holds up software next year is that for a lot of companies and not all of them, um, even in 2023, when the customers of software companies try to not make maybe new purchases, they're going to rely on their existing systems further to run their businesses, to automate their businesses, to use data um, smartly, uh, to uh, replatform products that need replatforming to um, source new customers to uh, even to manage their own human resources uh, and talent. So I think there's I think I think if anything I would say software probably grows okay next year. Uh, I would guess maybe double digits and and I think that with companies finding religion on cash you know, cash flows on, 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 I should say, OPEX discipline is where they've gotten religion. The output should be a decent amount of free cash flow next year, or at least incremental free cash flow. I, I don't know if we'll get the full Monty in terms of like actual rich um, uh, thumping free cash flow, but we'll, we'll see a lot of incremental uh, free cash flow revisions. So um, I actually think software to that end is probably okay. Um, I think maybe... Uh, the bigger risk is outside of software. If we're going to go from real tightness um, in supply chain and, and in labor uh, to, to significant looseness, right? So if cars, for example, are going to go from, oh my God, we can't get a new car. We have to wait six months for a new car to hit the lot to, you know, car, new cars sitting on the lots for six months plus and not selling, um, I think if we go into like a, a serious looseness, that sort of seems like the trend line direction of where, where we're headed, which is bad for unit hardware sales and bad for utiliz utilization-based uh, companies. Um, and I would say typically also like the end of that is also, that's the demand destruction that ends up being really bullish too, because like, hey, like I held off on buying a new car for myself because it's been nuts. But now I'm seeing like this shit's going to get looser. Pardon me, my friend. Stuff's going to get looser and we're going to have another shot at it. I'm going to get a big discount on a car. So that's actually really good, right? Because that, that tends to shape the beginning of the next cycle. So maybe by the back half of 2023, I'm going to be hitting the bid and buying a new car because I'm like, oh, look at this discount. They're throwing stuff at me and um, all kinds of goodies that I wouldn't only be able to get in a tight market. So that's, I think, like one kind of scenario that I've been thinking about. But I think the opposite scenario is more risky. And the opposite scenario is that things remain tight 
even though they deflate. So like, for example, I saw this article on computing.uk, like one of this, this, one of these magazines that talks about technology, obviously with the title of computing UK. Um, and one of their predictions for next year, a number of interesting predictions, but one of them was that the labor tightness, the talent shortage would remain like really tight next year because most of the people getting fired are on kind of HB1 visas or whatnot, and they're going home to foreign countries. Whereas the battle for like local talent is still scarce for people who actually know what they're doing. And I think that's, I think that's interesting. I think the other data point I'll share is that um, while I would have been the first to say that I thought the cloud infrastructure as a service companies would get loose, um, I'm actually seeing the data points are the opposite. The most recent data point I saw on this front is that as clients complaining about Azure uh, not having enough capacity in Europe, uh, which is exactly where I would have expected there to be looseness and um, sort of like structurally lack of capacity, not like a spot lack of capacity. So I guess what I would say is that if we, if we are, I hate using, you know, I hate using borrowing uh, um, structural ways of thinking about things that are from previous generations. But if I have to do that for a second here, just to like illustrate what I'm thinking about is like, if it's something like the 1970s, for example, where we have slower growth, but still tightness and higher and like stubborn tightness and, and even some, some inflation, um, that is the worst of both worlds because your inflation really like kills out the benefit of any nominal, you know, increases in volume. So I don't know which way next year is gonna go. Um, either of those two things is not great, but one of them, we sort of know the playbook, or at least more recently, we all know the playbook. And it's like, okay, wait for things to get cheap. And then a new cycle is going to begin because everybody's going to step back in and buy stuff. Um, if it's the other way around, geez, I, um, I don't know. I don't know how you then recreate uh, growth rate. Um, and that's maybe almost why like, for me, a couple of things that I really like are like still things that have major penetration curve stories like HashiCorp is like the top of fitting one of like, you know, and they're going to grow almost regardless of like what happens in supply chain or in, in, in macro or whatever it is 10 years from now, they, they have a chance to be to have their revenue bigger than their market cap by far and you know, like things like that, that I think um, are uh, why I like companies like that, which is, you know, kind of like make it like regardless of macro. But, but anyway, those are the two kind of risks that I see for next year, both very, very different. Um, and I think the second one is riskier just because I, I think old hack, old guys like me who are running a lot of these businesses, like don't, we don't have experience living through that 1970s type of period. And we don't really know what to do. Like that's not so easy to figure out I guess what to do. Um, I guess maybe the playbook would be for those companies to move towards uh, lower cost per unit as fast as humanly possible, notwithstanding the inflationary pressures against that. In that sense, I would say once again, technology overall and software specifically would be beneficiaries, not all software, um, but more software to automate anything to, that can really kind of lower your unit cost um, I think is, 
it probably benefits from either scenario of what, ha what could happen in 2023. I think you raise, raise an interesting point on the, on the tightness of labor. Is in your space, is, is, is pretty much everybody um, downsizing? Um, this year and you know are they are they making plans to, to to downsize even more next year or is it too early to say because i'm i'm actually seeing parallels also in china on 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 the layoffs um it's but it's much more broader base um so curious to see if if you're hearing from you know at least on the software side or other companies in your coverage space in terms of where layoffs could go um, heading into next year. Um, the, the other question I have for you as a follow-up, I mean, is I'm always curious on how, you know, Fed policy may impact your space. Um, and, you know, if, if Fed finally stops raising interest rates or even cuts interest rates by, say, Q3 next year, um, is that a risk or is that a, a tailwind? Uh, for your sector? I think a lot of listeners may be interested in that question. Well, I think to answer the last one first, I think the um, Fed lowering interest rates is generally viewed as positive for growth in general. And so this would be one of those, as tech tends to be like a beta play on growth, meaning it outgrows whatever the regular growth is of the economy. And, um, and so generally it would be viewed positively. And the, the other piece of that is that um, when what happened over the last year with software was it was November of 2021 when the Fed first talked about, talked about a pivot. And that was the peak for software multiples, which have only come down quite a lot since then and, and maybe have more to go. I don't know, but, you know, kind of like have come down quite a lot since then. Um, and I think that uh, at least stopping to increase the rates would be bullish because I think investors could say, okay, um, at this point, the group will not derate further probably. And now it's time to just find alpha across this group and to say, okay, these are the ones I want to own and these are the ones I want to short uh, or avoid. And, and these are the good companies that are going to have success. And these are the bad companies, as opposed to kind of like it's all going down. And, and in some cases, the good companies have gone down the most because they were also valued the highest and had the highest multiples. So, so while a bad company, you know, corrected from, you know, seven times revenue to, to four times or three times, which sounds, you know, which is terrible. Um, the good companies may have corrected from 35 times down to seven times. So obviously that's a bigger swing. So I think that, um, so I think so I think that's on the interest rate side is generally I would say bullish if they stop raising. Um, to answer your headcount question, yeah, we saw already in January of 2022, um, the venture capitalists started writing memos to their company saying uh, that it was time to think about the world differently, that it was that it was time to batten down the hatches, to um, uh, draw out your burn rate. So if you, if you were, if you had six months of runway left, may try to get to 12 months of runway left um, with your cash balance. And if you thought you were going to raise capital in the next 10 months, you were not going to raise capital in the next 10 months. And I think that was, um, 
that that also trickled into publicly traded companies on a bit of a lag where you saw even already by April, you saw Salesforce stop hiring. So they froze hiring. They went from like massive hiring rate in the quarter ended um, April 30 to like none in the July quarter, you know, basically. And you've already started to see companies really start to um, get uh, firing going. Uh, there's definitely been at least first one large round for a lot of the primary companies. And then there are ongoing mini um, kind of like the first round has sort of continued. And there's also continuous like operational improvement with a focus on bottom line, with a focus on let's learn to live to play another day type of discipline, um, kind of like an extreme, almost a really like an extreme change from no discipline, like the party's forever and cash is free to, oh my God, we have to pre prepare for the worst as opposed to prepare for normative periods. So there's this big swing that's happening um, across software for sure. And I think that that for sure will continue into the first quarter of 2023 because I think these processes are gradual and they take time and it takes time for a board of directors to see the results and to see, oh, it's actually helping your stock price and um, changing the conversation uh, with investors and let's do that, let's, let's hit the button again. So I think that uh, these companies are getting encouraged to continue to be operational minded. And that I think is gonna lead to pretty chunky increments of free cash, as I mentioned in the second quarter and the third quarter of next year will be pretty rich. I think the fourth quarter will depend on, you know, kind of like how business booking climate is in the summertime and whether or not in that May to September period this coming year is the economy finding its footing and the Fed stopping to cut and so on and so forth, or if it's the kind of like winter freeze that um, sets in and, and we're in this kind of like, you know, struggle for, for what comes next. Yeah, that's... That's that's really interesting. I, I'm just curious, and this is kind of a question out of left field, but for you, Ami, is is anybody hiring? And the reason I'm asking that is, um, so uh, there was a informal job board out there. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of the tech space got um, <clears throat> got rocked by the layoffs this year, but but they're scooping that someone is scooping them up and. Um, it, it was a lot of the Chinese companies, for example, ByteDance. So I, I wonder, you know, if if um, if you're hearing certain U.S. companies maybe scoop up some tech talent, uh, maybe from Meta or um, you know Google. Um, that that to me will be very interesting if 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 you if you know of any companies out there that are doing that. Um, just because everybody keeps saying the layoffs, but actually I've been hearing some of being rehired back. Yeah, I think, that, the companies. yeah, I mean, from what I can tell, a lot of these companies, even the ones who are doing big layoffs are uh, continuing to have hiring in very small uh, levels. So they fire, you know, it's like a, an opportunity to get rid of a lot of excess weight. A lot of people who just you know, weren't productive, weren't pulling their weight and who you just never would have gotten rid of in, when the market was tight for talent because you were just continuously told that, you know, you were not going to be able to hire more bodies. And so, you know, get rid of any bodies. But now um, they got rid of a lot of that. And then they're targeted hiring for specific programs and products and, and needs. 
um, continues. So that's that's typically what we've seen. The volume still net uh, down, meaning net uh, negative headcount uh, oriented. I think, um, and uh, yes, have seen that. Uh, you know, TikTok obviously is hiring um, uh, among this U.S. engineering uh, software engineering crowd for sure. Great. Well, uh, really appreciate all the insights. I mean, actually, we're running out of time, so I'm going to have to talk about MySpace uh, next time on this podcast. I also didn't want to end our last podcast on such a down note with layoffs, but I, you know, generally speaking, I think everyone's optimistic for a new year heading into 2023, everyone. So uh, we're very excited uh, to see what the new year can bring. Hope everybody is safe, healthy, uh, and uh, enjoying the holidays for the next uh, two weeks or so. And we'll see you guys again in 2023. Take care. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out HedgeEye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at HedgeEye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by HedgeEye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors and accuracies or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedge Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.